Well, thank you. It's a real honor for my wife Pam and I to be here with you today. Uh, you do notice pretty quickly that God gave me the spiritual gift of height. Now, I'm not fast. I have a one-inch vertical leap, but there's few things more satisfying than making a jump shot over Pastor Brian. I just need you to know that. So uh, I enjoy very much the journey that we're on. Pam and I are brand new to Lexington. We just moved here last July, uh, right in the middle of COVID. We came and settled into your fine city. Everybody tells us how wonderful Lexington is, and of course, everything was shut down. And we're just now getting to begin to experience the joy of what it is to be a part of this area of Kentucky. Uh, we have settled here, our district office is here. You might not be fully aware that you're a part of a bigger family. There's, of course, the family of God is all people who fall follow Jesus and are calling the name of our Lord. Um, but in the same way, there's different well, family units with similar values. For example, in my own family, I have a brother and sister. My brother and sister, both are married, have kids. And we grew up similar values, same things that we would own as foundational for us. And yet, if you went to their homes and then came to our house, you would notice there's differences. We decorate different. We have different things that we would maybe have focus on or a hobby with or whatever. And that's true of God's people and churches as well. We're a part of a tribe, a family called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. As Helen mentioned, we have different districts. Our district here, which is western part of Ohio, and the western part of Tennessee, and all of the state of Kentucky is about 65 churches. Uh, and yet we're a part of an even bigger family than that. There's over 20,000 Christian Missionary Alliance churches around the world, over six million people who call the Christian Missionary Alliance home, like you do. And it's a wonderful joy to be able to share arm in arm with others who also want to see the good news of Jesus spread all around. And I have a great deal of fulfillment in being a part of that as I work with these various churches. And I will also say this, I'm, as Helen mentioned, I'm not here in town very often on Sundays because we're in all these various churches and ministering and partaking with things with them. It's wonderful when there's a weekend that we're in Lexington that my wife and I get to be here. Not only do we view Lexington as home, we found Lex City to be home. And we enjoy that a great deal. We find it to be a fun place to come where we can just take off the hat of our responsibilities and be worshipers and learners, right, with all of you. And we're grateful for the heartbeat of this church to reach our own community here in Lexington and the broader region and literally to touch the ends of the earth. Thank you for your part in that. Uh, we're honored to be a part of it here with you. I found it very meaningful to my own heart to worship along with you as Josh and the rest of the team up here led us into the presence of God with music and song. And I rejoice and I embrace that all that we sang is true, that there is a wonderful work, a miracle working God, amazing things that take place all around us with the fingerprints of God on them. And yet I also predict that there's some of you that today as you're here and you joined in on that or as you listen to that, maybe that's not your sense, your feeling. Maybe you go, well, that sounds wonderful. I'm glad some of them have experienced something like that. That's not my life today. That's not where I'm at. I feel like I'm in a dark place. I'm in a hole. I feel like I'm stuck. Maybe if you experienced some things, it was a long time ago and it's not now. It's not your current journey. 
And you're going, I would love for some of that to be real, but I'm not sure that it's real for me at all. And I want to today talk a little bit with you about what it's like to have the curtain pulled back and sometimes to get to see a reality that's there. It's been there all along but isn't always visible to us. There are some things in life that we don't fully grasp or see that are marvelous. I'll give you, for example, in my own life. I grew up in Northeast Ohio, but actually started right there about kindergarten. Before kindergarten, my family lived in Reading, Pennsylvania. And in my toddler years, my preschool years, figure three, four, five years old, I'm this little kid wanting to explore the world, right? Everything's a new adventure, everything I want to get my hands on, everything I want to experience. We lived in a red brick, about a two-story apartment building. Back then in those days, my mom had just had my brother. He, she was quite busy with that little baby, and I wanted to explore the world. And we moved to Ohio just before kindergarten, and it was only after we moved to Ohio that my family revealed to me the best and worst kept secret of my life to that point. In our building, in their, at that apartment building, in the basement level of it was a store. It was Mr. Hummel's bike shop and toy store. In other words, there was paradise for a child in the building that I lived in. There was heaven for any kid, and they didn't tell me. I'm actually not sure if the statute of limitations has expired yet, or I might like to report the abuse. <laughs> but in some way or another, I couldn't read, of course, and I couldn't read the signs around me to be able to know that there was something marvelous in my midst. And I just want you to keep that thought in mind as we talk about behind the curtain today, that sometimes we might struggle to read the signs that tell us of something marvelous that is in our midst. Now, I'd like us to go back even farther than just my childhood years. I want to go back more to... February 15th, it was the day after Valentine's Day. There's flowers on the table. Mrs. Z had put them out. Her husband had brought them the day before along with a requisite Hallmark card that he spent too much money on. And the chocolates that were already gone. But in spite of it being the day after Valentine's Day for Mr. and Mrs. Z, it was not a refreshing, wonderful, joy-filled time of life. Mr. Z, his name was Zachariah. He was a bit of a priest, prophet, a pastor, we would call it today. He led a group of God's people, but it was hard times. Their, their church, their collection of God's people was struggling mightily. They didn't have cool programs for people. They didn't have good band and instruments. They didn't have really worship that seemed to just lift the soul. Their facilities were actually pretty much non-existent. They had crumbled and fallen and in great need of repair and rebuilding. There was not much there for them. But it wasn't just the spiritual world that seemed to be dark for them that day. Their whole society was that way. 
economy was poor, people felt oppressed, their city was actually crumbling around them and in need of repair and rebuilding as well. It had been that way for, it seemed like, a long time. And it was in the midst of that dark time, February 15th, the year, specifically, 519 B.C., some 2,500 years ago, February 15th, 519 B.C., that Zechariah had a moment when the curtain was pulled back. I'd like to read it to you. There's some books in the Bible. We have this book called the Bible, and the Bible is full of smaller books by different people. And right before you get to the New Testament books called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's a bunch of really short little books called the Minor Prophets. Minor not because they were unimportant, but quite honestly, the, what they wrote was very short. And I'll be honest, a lot of times we don't spend a truckload of time in church in those books. They can be a little bit challenging. But I'd like to read you just 11 verses out of Zechariah, the book's named after the author. Zechariah chapter 1, verses 7 through 17. Follow along with me. Three months later on February 15th, the Lord sent another message to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, grandson of Edu. In a vision during the night, I, Zechariah, saw a man sitting on a red horse that was standing among the myrtle trees in a small valley. Behind him were riders on red, brown, and white horses. I asked the angel who was talking with me, my Lord, what do these horses mean? I'll show you, the angel replied. And there was the rider standing among the myrtle trees who then explained, they are the ones that the Lord has sent out to patrol the earth. And then the other riders reported to the angel of the Lord who was standing among those myrtle trees, we have been patrolling the earth and the whole earth is at peace. Upon hearing this, the angel of the Lord prayed this prayer, O Lord of heaven's armies, for 70 years now you've been angry with Jerusalem and the towns of Judah. How long until you again show mercy to them? And the Lord spoke kind and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. And then the angel said to me, shout this message for all to hear. Shout this message for all to hear. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. My love for Jerusalem and Mount Zion is passionate and strong. But I'm very angry with those nations, those other nations, that are now enjoying peace and security. I was only a little angry with my people, but the nations inflicted harm on them beyond my intentions. Therefore, this is what the Lord says, I have returned to show mercy to Jerusalem. My temple will be rebuilt, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and the measurements will be taken for the reconstruction of the city Jerusalem. Say this also, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says, the towns of Israel will again overflow with prosperity, the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem as his own. Zechariah chapter one. And now you're thinking, I know why we don't tend to read those books a whole lot. I don't have a clue what this means. I'm not sure what this is all about. Now, I will tell you this, you may know this, in the Bible there are no accidental words. No accidental words whatsoever. Everything has meaning. So, in this story, the ravine, the valley, has meaning to it. 
The idea that it's myrtle trees that are growing there rather than some other kind of tree, it has meaning to it. The colors of the horses has meaning to it. And you're probably then hoping that I will explain to you prophetically what all the meaning of all of this story is and all the symbolism that's found in it. And I'm just going to tell you, I don't have a clue. When Pastor Brian's back, you all line up and ask him. He will be glad to explain all of it to you in complete detail. But I've also learned something. We don't have to know everything about God's Word to be able to extract, to glean something marvelous from it. And I just want to walk a little bit of a journey for those of you that feel a little bit like Zechariah and the people he hung around with, that you feel like there's a bit of a dark cloud, a moment of struggle, a season that's been hard, whatever it is that you're facing, if you feel at all like Zechariah would have felt back then, then my prayer today is like for him, God would pull back the curtain and allow you to see something unique and new and different that maybe you didn't fully know was there. In those dark days of our own souls, in those moments of struggle, we'll tend to ask ourselves several questions, and God addresses them here in this story. Maybe the first question we would ask is simply this, is God there? You ever ask your question if God's there? You wonder whether he really exists? Is he even really around? Is God there at all? And this story is a reminder to us, on February 15th, so many years ago, a young guy who was struggling to know whether God is really there had a moment of clarity where God pulled back the curtain and showed him a reality, actually in some ways more real than what he daily saw in front of the curtain, and he got to see it there all around him. The reality that there is a spiritual realm, a parallel universe that intersects our world. There's God, and he's there. Now, it leads then to the second question that anybody would have at that moment. It's like, well, okay, it's one thing to come to the realization that God is there. But I want to know, is he really aware? Is God aware? Because it can feel like he's aware of what's going on in his life or her life, but I'm not really sure that he's aware of what's going on in my life because otherwise I think it might look different. And there's two things that take place in this story that help us to know that God is aware. The first is, did you catch that in the part of it where it says that they went out, all the horses went out and spread around, verses 10 and 11. It says they had gone to and from in the earth and they reported back to the angel, the commander-in-chief, who's standing there in the ravine beside his horse, and they said, hey, the whole world is at peace. Now, this probably gives us pause to go, let's make sure we understand the characters of this story, all right? We have Zechariah. Zechariah is the young leader who didn't know what all was behind the curtain in the spiritual realms, struggling to make it through life, his own struggles, the struggles of people around him, the struggles in the spiritual world of church and ministry that he had, the struggles in the society that they had. Their country had been ransacked by an opposing army. And they had been carried off into captivity and a group, a remnant had returned, Zechariah among them. And yet they wondered whether there was really much of a future in a place that was now desolate. So there's Zechariah. Beside Zechariah is an angel, 
an angel of God who's there to kind of be his instructor, his guide, the explainer of things as they walk through this vision. And there in that valley, we first find that there's a rider on a horse. It's the angel of the Lord's armies. Now, it doesn't specifically state this, but we can have great confidence through the teaching of all of Scripture to know that this is actually a pre-Christmas Jesus. Jesus was alive. He's God, the Son, been alive from all eternity. Jesus actually shows up several times in the Old Testament. You might not have been aware of that, but this is one of those moments. That angel of the Lord's armies is Jesus. And then he has all these other soldiers, angels on their horses that are going to and fro at his bidding all around the earth. Those are the main characters here. They come back and report to Jesus and say, hey, the whole world's at peace. And it's, it's given to us symbolically to let us know that God is fully aware. He knows what's going on all around. He knows, they're reporting. He's aware of what all is taking place. Now, by the way, you might say, well, it sounds like a good report because the world's all at peace. Or maybe you say, maybe they're not really so aware at all because really, is the whole world at peace? Could they ever be so deceived? And actually, what is taking place here is that the world, the rest of the people that are not God's people, that are not following God, that are not walking in the journey with God, their world seems to be going pretty well. Basically, it's reported to Jesus. You know, the whole world thinks it's got it going good. But in the meantime, the people of God are not feeling that way at all. They're not feeling that peace. Probably the symbolism of that valley is one that would apply to many of you, this ravine that they're in. It's the idea, have you ever felt this in your life where you're unseen? That people don't really know what's all around you? that people could actually walk by on a trail and not even know that you existed because you're kind of tucked down in this little ravine. Myrtle trees, scraggly myrtle trees, not cedars and oaks. In some senses here, it's describing the people of God as scraggly trees kind of lost in a small little valley, out of sight, not much of worth talking about, not much to send pictures home over, it's just not much of anything. And maybe you feel a bit of that way. And God wants you to know that he's aware. He's in the valley with you. He's right there in your presence, though you don't always see him. And he's aware that things seem to be unfair and unbalanced all around. He knows it. There's a second way we're clear that God is aware here in this story. It's what takes place in the next two verses. I find this one of the most astounding statements in all of Scripture. Catch this. The angel that's there to help Zechariah speaks up, and he says, the angel of the Lord prayed this prayer, O Lord of heaven's armies, for 70 years now you've been angry with Jerusalem and the towns of Judah. How long until you again show mercy to them? Catch this. And the Lord spoke kind and comforting words to the angel who talked to me. Now, I don't know about you. I grew up in the church world. And I grew up in a world where it was a little bit of a, a frightening thought to think, I mean, we just never question God. You don't even think a question about God. And you certainly wouldn't voice it. 
because that's when lightning strikes and you're left as this little pile of dust. You know, that if you would ever question God, we don't doubt God, we don't question God. And catch this, right here, this angel, not just the human Zechariah who didn't understand the behind the curtain, the angel who lived behind the curtain, the angel who saw God regularly says, God, I don't get it. How long will your people continue to struggle? How long will this carry on like this? And I'm sure that in this vision, in this moment of reality behind the curtain, in this story on February 15th, 519 BC, that everything went silent when that angel said that. And you couldn't even hear the crickets chirp. There was no noise because everybody's like, he's questioning God. And catch what God does. God spoke kind and comforting words to his angel, his servant. If he will do that for you, for an angel who knows how things really work, how much more will he do it for you in the journey that you're on? It's okay to wrestle with the hard questions. It's okay to tell God that it doesn't make perfect sense to you. It's okay to say that it's hard and you wish it were different. And watch that our God will not beat you down with a bat, but he will speak kind and comforting words to you. I do need to let you know something about how this tends to go, though. A couple of observations in my own journey. First, I don't know if you've noticed this, God tends to not work in a time frame that would have been my choice. Has that been true for any of you? I tend to find that my expectation, I tend to want God to have resolved my circumstances yesterday. And he tends to often be on a more of a slow train than I am. And it's hard to swallow sometimes. Remember, 70 years, Lord, how long will it be till you resolve this? And we can wonder, is he really there and is he really aware? And, and we just struggle to know. Sometimes because his time frame is different. And in part, I think his time frame is different than mine because his priorities are different than mine. I don't know if that's true for you, but I find my priorities tend to be, I want God to resolve my circumstances, and then through that, that might impact my life. God tends to reverse those priorities. He tends to want to meddle in my life in a good way. He tends to want to transform me, change me, process me, do something new and fresh in my life. And then as I become a growing new person, he begins to work in my circumstances. And I ought to tell you, from my vantage point, I don't always like that. I wish it were different. The human part of me says, God, could you just solve my circumstances, my situations, and then maybe we'll talk about you tweaking the issues of my life. And instead, he wants to work on my life before he works on the presenting issues. And the human part of me struggles with that. But the Jesus follower part of me is so glad that he chooses the best prioritization of work in my life. Because it actually answers then the third and final question. We wonder, is God there? We wonder, is he aware? And finally we go, does God really care? Does God really care? 
Seems like maybe he cares about that person. Does God really care about my situation? And this story reveals to us that God really does care. How does it reveal that God cares? Well, ultimately, it's tied into the promises that we find here. Promises that God gives specifically to his people in this story and this time, but also it's a reminder that God has promises for you as well. God has promises for you. There's a fascinating verse here, verse 14. It says, the angel of the Lord said to me, shout this message for all to hear. Okay, the angel who's standing beside Zechariah, he's now questioned God. He's like, God, how long? Why is this going on so much? God encourages him, kind and comforting words to this angel, helps him regroup, refocus, and then God gives him a message to give to Zechariah. He looks to Zechariah and he says, shout this message. Don't just share this message. Shout this message for all to hear. What is the message that he's to shout for all to hear? That my love for Jerusalem and Mount Zion is passionate and strong. That's the message. God is basically saying, Zechariah, know this, I love my people. My love for my people has never waned, it's never gone, it's never forgotten. My love for you is strong. You don't have to doubt this, you don't have to wonder, my love for you is strong. And I just need to say right now, I predict around this room for some people, here's what's happening. The voice of the Holy Spirit there's God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The voice of the Holy Spirit is reinforcing that message, and some of you are hearing a shout in your mind. It's a shout that you don't hardly believe can be true, that God loves you passionately. He is there, he's aware, and he fully cares. And he wants you to hear this. And though I might talk quietly the truth of that is shouting in your mind. And I need you to listen to the voice of God who wants you to hear it resounding so loud that it echoes through your heart. It echoes through your soul. It echoes through your mind. I'm there, I'm aware, and I care. There's a couple ways we find this summed up in Scripture. There's a couple interesting little tricks of the trade God uses in Scripture. He invented it all, right? So what's he do? I don't know if you know this. In the original languages, they don't have punctuation like we do. So in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew that this was written in, Zechariah, they don't have punctuations. So when God wants to emphasize something, he can't exactly do it the way you and I would. I would make it 72 font, bold, you know, maybe put 17 exclamation points and 33 thumbs up emojis, right? This is how we reinforce things in this day and age, but they didn't have that then. In the Bible, when God wants to tell you something's important, he repeats it. So I don't know about you, I read through the Bible, there's truckloads of things I wish the Bible talked about that it doesn't. And then I read some things, and it repeats things. And I go, well, why would you do that? You're taking up some, you could do other things. And it's actually every time that happens, every time that there's repetition in the Bible, it's telling you, sit up, take notice. This is really important to me, and it's really important to me that you get this. 
And the last two verses, 16 and 17, are essentially rephrasing twice of a promise. God's like, I care so much that in my time, in my way, as I change your work, as I change your world, watch what happens as I restore things, as I bring balance, I bring justice to things. Watch what happens as I rebuild things. And he talks about it, two different statements, essentially a rewording of the same promise in each one. And it's God's way of saying, I care so much, I'm giving you my promises. In my time, in my way, I make this right. Watch what I do. Watch how I work. That's how incredible our God is. And it doesn't matter whether the valley that you're in as a scraggly myrtle tree is of your own doing. Sometimes it is, right? We made our choices, we got our consequences or it's something that was just totally unfair and random that seems like the world has crushed you with, whether it's your fault or the world's fault, ultimately, God looks at you the same. And he says, I love you, and I'm gonna make this right. In my time, in my way, you watch what I do. He repeats his promises to show us how much he cares. It's his way of shouting how much he loves us. And there's one final way. In the Bible, names have meaning. And we don't tend to do that. Some of you do, but most of us don't. I have two daughters, Andrea and Stephanie. My wife didn't go, I want to choose a name that has a certain meaning. I'd actually have to look it up and see what those names mean. I don't even remember. But I liked Andrea and Stephanie and how they sounded. We chose them. It sounded like if we're going to have girls, they ought to be Andrea and Stephanie. So we just chose their names. If things had followed true to form... I would have been Asa Parker Miller V. And according to the grace of God and the generosity of my grandfather, he broke that chain. And he named his son Glenn, and Glenn named me Jeff, and I don't have to be Asa Parker Miller V. But we don't tend to have meaning in names. But in the Bible, the names always had meanings. What does the word Zechariah mean? Zechariah means God remembered. God remembered. And I think it's the final touch, the final stroke, the final exclamation point on this message today. God wants you to know he remembers. He knows you. He knows your journey. He knows your story. He hasn't forgotten what's happened to you. He hasn't forgotten where you're at. He's there. He's aware. And he's full of care for you. In a few moments when we wrap up this service, some of you, you've had this voice shouting in your head that he loves you so deeply and passionately. You've had this reminder that God's there, pull back the curtain. You've experienced a bit of the pull back the curtain this morning to remind you of what God is doing. And I'll just let you know, there's going to be some people here in the front that would love to pray with you. If you hear the voice of God, the nudge, the voice, the talk, in one way or another, will you not walk out of here without coming and praying with somebody about it and together praying to the one who's always there behind the curtain, always there, always aware, and always full of care. I'd love to pray that over you as we come to this conclusion. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful that you remind us through a message of 2,500 years ago that you're there, 
and that you're aware and that you care. Lord, I need that reminder regularly. Forgive me for the times that I've gotten lost in the cloud, in the grayness of this side of the curtain, some of it caused by my own choices and missed out on the glory behind the curtain and your fingerprints on the things of life. Lord, would you continue to meddle in my life? I don't always enjoy it, but would you continue to do it? Would you continue to work on my journey and my friends here that we might grow on this pathway of your priority into your love and grace and forgiveness? Continue to be the God we sang about at the beginning of this service, the God who changes, who transforms, who does work that we could only dream of. God, continue to make all things new. In Jesus' name, amen.